0: God, I pray that you would just uh, help us to connect with your word today. Lord, speak through it. Help us to see what you're trying to tell us in the book of Hebrews. Um, Lord, we need truth today. God, we need to know what you say, what is real. God, as, as uh, we live in a chaotic world, um, God, would you just um, refine our minds, transform our minds by your spirit as we read your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah, so we're going to be in Hebrews today. We started a series called The Son of God. We're going to be going through the summer on this series about uh, looking at Jesus in the book of Hebrews. And maybe more than any other book, Hebrews explains why Jesus is so important. That's really what the book is about. Like, who is Jesus and why is he important? And as I was praying about, okay, what what should we go through this summer? I thought, man, there couldn't really be anything more important than that. Like, let's get rooted in understanding who Jesus is, you know, so that we're not trying to serve a Jesus that we're not connected to um, or that we fashion in our own minds. But what does the word of God say about who Jesus is and why he's important? Um, Hebrews is one of the letters in the the New Testament. It's part of a collection of letters called the General Letters, written to churches at that time. Um, Hebrews is the only book in the Old Testament that we don't know who wrote it. Uh, Some people say Paul. Um, Others have said uh, Apollos, who was a very eloquent teacher at that time. Some have said uh, Priscilla, who was a prophet, a friend of Paul's. And, and some say Apollos or Priscilla because when you read this book, when you read Hebrews, it's probably the most eloquently written book in, in the New Testament. It's, it's very well written, especially in, in the Greek. But it, because of that, they think maybe somebody uh, else wrote it um, other than Paul. But the main thing about this book is that it places... Jesus at the center of everything. It just says Jesus is important. Knowing Jesus for who he is is so important, and it's so vital for us to be able to answer that question today more than anything. If somebody asked you, okay, explain Jesus to me, what would your answer be? Would you be able to, to share who Jesus is and why he matters today? Who is the Jesus Of your faith, what is your relationship with him like today? Because that question really is everything. It's what separates us from from what Jesus called the 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 wide road that leads to destruction and the narrow path that leads to life. It's so important that we can answer that question. Because I think one problem we have today, and we've had for a long time, is that we can say we believe in Jesus, but that belief remains. Abstract, distant. It's not near. It's not someone you can actually know and have a relationship with. It's just something you know. Something you know. And when it's just something that you know and not someone, it can only be a part of your life. You're not going to give your life to something. You can only give your life to someone. And so if we have a small picture of Jesus, We're left looking for other things to fill the gap in our hearts. Other things to find fulfillment and peace in our lives. And especially when we experience weakness and stress. What do you turn to? What do you turn to when life gets rocky? When things get hard? Do you turn to a God, someone that you know? Or do you turn to other things? We all struggle with this. I have uh, Ryan Irvin who preached for me last week talked about have you ever made a stress decision and he was talking about big decisions but we also make little stress decisions don't we like man I'm so stressed out today one of the things that I used to do a lot is when I was stressed I'd listen to sports radio because it would just get my mind on something else right. Like, I just want to numb my mind to reality. I just want to listen to something that really doesn't matter. But, like, it's kind of like a soap opera for guys, you know? It's just, I just want to listen to this and get kind of lost in who the Seahawks are cutting from training camp or whatever it is, right? Just kind of, and it's like junk food for the mind. It's like, you know, barbecue chips, right? You just eat it, and you eat it, and you eat it, and you never are satisfied, right? It's just, it's that whole thing. And I remember in stressful seasons of my life doing that and feeling convicted, Like, hey, Tyler, what are you actually doing? What are you actually consuming? Is that helping you feel more peaceful? Is that helping encourage, like, uh, 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 a very, like, rootedness in Christ? Are you dwelling on the right things? Are you dwelling on sort of meaningless things? And we we have so many meaningless things available to us today to consume our minds and that can keep us from, from praying to the someone who can actually help us. In our stress and feeling peace. And so I like sports, but I've realized God's convicted me. I have to guard my mind so it doesn't just consume my thoughts or I just don't check out on reality. I actually sit in it and I actually deal with what's going on. Because it's easy to worship things that aren't God, right? It's easy for, if, for us to get obsessed with things that aren't God. And it doesn't have to be sports. It could be, uh, it, it could be boating. It could be whatever recreation we like to do. It could be money. It could be sex. And maybe this past year has been a year where Jesus has lost a little appeal in your eyes. Maybe this has been a year that's really challenged your discipline. I know it's challenged my discipline of seeking Jesus every morning. God, what do you have for me today? It was more like, how can I survive today, right? It was, just, it's, it was tough this year, because in, in, in the, or last year, because in the, the first part of last year, there was sort of this inertia, like nobody was doing anything, right? And it felt like the, the brakes were put on life. And when the brakes were put on life, it's like, well, I don't know what to do with my time, Right? like there so so for some of us we may have lost like that passion, that fervor, that drive to seek God. For others of us it may have led us to a place where we're seeking Jesus more. Like man, I need you. This is tough what I'm going through. So I just want to check in this morning and ask how are you doing? Like if I was to ask you, how's your soul this morning? Like are you feeling weary? Are you feeling beat up? Are you feeling distracted? That's me, man. I get distracted. Have you—you have you feel like you're, you're pushing God out? As you consider where you're at this morning, I just want to—I just want you to identify that so that you will know as we read these verses that God is still for you. That God is still for you when you're weary, when you're weak, when you're disconnected, when you feel alone. These are powerful verses that we're going to read today. We're going to be in mean, Hebrews 4, verse 14 through 16. It'll be up on the screen, too, if you don't have your Bibles with you. It says this, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I don't know if you feel like you're in a time of need this morning. But this passage centers on Jesus being our great high priest, our great high priest. That means that he's not distant, that he, that means that he's not a helpline that you call when things get bad, help me out, I need it right now. No, Jesus is actively connecting you to the heart of God. He is a great high priest. He is actively comforting you and challenging you to grow. So let's talk about this high priest. What does it mean to have a high priest? In your mind, you may have a vision of someone in robes, which I didn't wear my robes this morning. Usually I wear robes. No, I'm kidding. I don't. But maybe you have a vision of somebody in robes with a collar, sitting in a confessional booth. You know, that's not really what it's talking about. Uh, The priesthood was something that God established way back in the time of Moses. Moses and Aaron as God was forming his people he gave a certain group a certain family group the responsibility of being a mediator between himself and his people the priests the the priests the line of Aaron the levitical line he gave it specifically to them that was their calling it wasn't because they were special or the best looking or anything like that he just gave it to them in his grace saying we need Uh, uh, Imperfect people to intercede for other imperfect people And he God was so protective of this priesthood that when others tried to step in to fulfill that role He punished them and the biggest example in scripture is King Saul Um, King Saul lost his throne because he got impatient waiting for Samuel, the priest, to come and offer sacrifices for battle. He goes ahead and takes on the priestly duty of offering those sacrifices, and God removes him from the throne. His line, uh, his sanity, his life fell apart because he tried to uh, supersede something that God had set up. And so this role of high priest priests and high priests is very important and very key to what was going on at the time. It was a mediator between God and man. It was the the, the person that God selected to be that go-between, that representative, that that two-way representative. The the high priest was the only one allowed to offer sacrifices on behalf of the people. The the high priest was also the worship leader. He led uh, people in acceptable worship. And so if you wanted to, at that time, speak or connect with God, you had to go through his representative. And so the bold statement in this passage is that that's no longer needed. That whole system of imperfect people uh, interceding to God on behalf of imperfect people is no longer needed because we have Jesus, who is a perfect mediator. It's a perfect God for an imperfect people. And so I want to tell you today that your faith should not be built on anyone other than this someone who is Jesus. Your faith should not be built on a person, on your parents, on a leader, on a friend. Like, yes, they help disciple us, but our faith actually needs to take root in knowing someone that is Jesus personally. Your faith should not be built on a pastor. Um, because why? Why? People are still imperfect. Pastors fall, friends fade away, parents pass away. Our faith has to be built on a personal, real relationship with Christ. Because when our roots are in Christ, then we can survive any storm. Christ won't fail us, people will fail us. And so there's no one that's strong enough to be that connection for you to God. It's about you and Jesus. In chapter 5 of Hebrews, um, the author goes on to explain how this was an imperfect system. They say, For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. All right? So the priest's, We're beset with weakness. The intercessors, the intermediaries are beset with weakness. As I speak to you today, as I prepared for this, God brought to mind all of my weakness. I spent a a time in confession, uh, just like, wow, I have all of these things I need to work on, my lack of discipline, different things like that that God was challenging me to work on. And so here's the deal. The only way the only reason that we have gifts to serve each other The only reason why we have anything to stand on it's all it's not because of us. It's all because of the grace of Jesus Jesus allows us to play a role in his kingdom He makes a way for us to do that. And so we need to have a sober view of ourselves You know, there's a passage where paul says don't let anyone think more highly of himself than they ought to think Like, we need to have that. We need to own that. We should not be thinking too highly of himself. And Jesus' main trait for a leader, he emphasized humility, right? Humility is the key thing. If you want to lead, if you want to be somebody, be humble. Be humble. It's not about your talent. It's about humility. Because you could be very talented and very gifted, but if you're not humble, you will fall at some point. And I just wanted to share this as I, as I thought about this this week. I was led to Mark 9, and this is a passage where Jesus is ahead of his disciples. He's in a town called Capernaum, and they're all traveling by themselves. So the boss is away, all right, And they're all hiking by themselves. And, and uh, this is what happens. This is Mark 9:33. It says, "And they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, and when he was in the house, they asked... He asked them, Jesus asked his disciples, What were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve. And he said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. So this is really, I love this because it's real. All right, these are Jesus' twelve disciples, all guys. So when they're on this hike together, do you think they're praying for each other and encouraging each other? No, they're flexing. They're just all flexing. They're all sharing why they're the best. They're the greatest. Typical guys. Everybody's got an ego. When Jesus is away, they probably downplay their ego when Jesus is there. But then when he's gone, it's like, all right, no, I'm the best. I'm the greatest. I'm the greatest disciple. I'm the most humble, you know? And we know this feeling, right? We're, we're, nothing's changed. Nothing's changed. We still, especially guys, I'm a guy, we size each other up, right? I'm trying to grow a beard to measure up with some of you guys. No, okay. am kidding. Uh, but no, we, uh, we try to measure up. When I, my first real job, I remember I was super embarrassed of my car. I would park as far out On the lot as I could because in in my job people were rolling up with their SUVs and luxury cars and have any of you seen Uncle Buck the movie Uncle Buck I felt like Uncle Buck rolling my jalopy to school no it's just like I had a I had a a 84 uh, Honda Accord with 280,000 miles on it I'm just like limping in to work and walking in with my head hung low because car is status, right? It's like, no, I want to project strength, you know? And, uh, but that's what we do. We still live in this world where we're constantly sizing each other up. We're constantly measuring each other, and we try to show strength. And so when Jesus asked these guys, hey, what are you talking about? They were completely quiet. They were ashamed. They didn't need Jesus to tell them that they were off. They just knew that they were off. They were silent and ashamed. And so Jesus says, stop flexing, you know? Stop it. If you want to be great in my kingdom, be the servant of all. Be last. Be on the bottom. Start serving others. And I'll tell you how this connects, because getting back to Hebrews, Hebrews says that the priest deals gently with the ignorant and the wayward. He deals gently with the ignorant and the wayward because why? Because he himself, he knows he himself is weak, right? He knows he isn't God. He isn't the strong man. He also recognizes that he's weak. So the encouragement for us, if we're trying to build each other up and encouraging each other is not to flex spiritually or be the best or be the, be the boss, actually to model humility and weakness and gentleness. Speak the truth, but do it in a way Where you are are also sympathizing with people. Because Jesus himself didn't flex. Jesus didn't flex. That's not how Jesus responds to us in our weakness. He didn't take our face and rub it in our failure. No, what does he do? Hebrews 5 continues. This talks about what Jesus did as our great high priest. This is what it says. And he was heard because of his reverence Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered and being made perfect He became the source of eternal salvation to all who believe all who obey him being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek So there's a lot here, but what happens? Jesus doesn't exalt himself Right. Actually the way that Jesus reaches us is he goes down into our mess he doesn't hold a bar that we have to jump to. He actually goes way, way down, way down into our mess. He had, the most, he had the most say to have a high bar for people to jump to, but yet he goes down into the mess. He submits himself, the Son of God submits himself to Father God, to this process where at the end, the father appoints him a priest. And then it says this phrase in the order of Melchizedek, which if you're looking for a baby name, I don't know if you can beat Melchizedek, but <laughs> we call him Mel. But uh, no, here's why it's significant. It is, it's a, Melchizedek is early on in Genesis, um, but Melchizedek is significant because he's the only priest that God did not appoint in the, in, in the nation of Israel who is outside of the nation of Israel. And so what he's saying, he's in the order of Melchizedek, that Jesus is a priest for all people, not just a people. He's a priest for all people. Because Melchizedek was there before even Israel existed. He's the one that Abraham gave his tithe to. And so Jesus isn't just a priest for a select few. He's a priest for all that would come to him. And so what does the rest of this passage tell us? I mean, it says that Jesus was a priest who had, mo- who, who had the most right to flex on us, but yet he brought himself low and connected with us. We were disconnected, and Jesus connected us back to him. And it wasn't easy. I mean, when you read this, you see that that connection was costly, very costly. It, it cost Jesus. It uses this phrase, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears. He prayed, if you look at John 17, if you read John 17, he prays for his disciples. He prays for us, those disciples yet to come. He prays for himself. And and this phrase, loud cries and tears, loud cries, that really literally means screaming with tears running down your face. Like Jesus was Completely desperate for his father And he didn't lightly engage our pain. He didn't lightly intercede He's willing to plead and to cry and to get on his face before god He's that desperate for you. I don't know if we have friends in our lives that are that desperate for us That are that engaged in our life and what we have going on but jesus is And it says he was heard by god it says Jesus suffered for us that he learned obedience meaning that he dealt with all the same things that we did yet he remained without sin he didn't fail and because of that we can be saved talks about eternal salvation that he is our perfect intermediary like our lawyer right Jesus is our lawyer we have good representation before God so that we can be saved So I just want you to know that Jesus' approach to your weakness and your disconnection is not top-down. He dives way down to meet you where you're at. He'll He'll go through anything, and he did, to meet you where you're at. Sometimes when we feel convicted about our behavior, it seems very bad to us. It seems sort of untouchable. I just don't want anybody to know what's going on, Jesus isn't deterred by that. Jesus isn't deterred by you. He isn't repelled from you that Jesus would actually be willing to plead and maybe even scream for you. See, our thought, when we have stuff we don't want people to know, we hide. We want to hide it. We want to isolate. We want to take it in and of ourselves because we don't want our shame exposed. But the only way that we're going to heal is if we actually release that. God, if we're actually vulnerable and open. Um, In Hebrews 4.13, it talks about how we need to be naked and exposed before God, that we need to not try to hide anything, that there won't be any healing unless we're open before God. And I get the fear of, like, not wanting to share that in community. Maybe you've been burned in a church before where you were vulnerable with someone and it wasn't a good experience. And it wasn't a great experience. And that hurts. Maybe somebody spiritually flexed on you, and you felt less than. And that hurts, and it makes you want to run away. But I just want you to know that's not Jesus' approach. That's not Jesus' approach to our shame and suffering. I just want to go back, as we sort of begin to wrap up today, I just want to go back to the verses we started with. And let's read it again. It says, Since then, I want to ask it again. Are you in need this morning? Are you in need before God this morning? Because the place that Jesus wants to lead you is to the throne of grace. Not the throne of judgment. Not the throne of less than. The throne of grace. Jesus sympathizes with you. Jesus understands your struggle. He lived through it himself. He just didn't break like we break. He knows the struggle. It says, in every respect, Jesus was tempted with the same things we are tempted with. So, as we conclude today and the band can, can come up, I just want to leave you with two things. This passage tells us that we need to do two things. The first thing we need to do is hold fast says, hold fast to our confession, that literally means to cling. Cling to your faith in Jesus. Cling to your faith in Jesus. You are going to experience every pressure that the world can throw at you to, to not cling, to cling to something else. In fact, in Hebrews 12, it talks about how sin clings to us. Like, sin is actually like a spider's web that we get caught in and can't get out of. But it says, if you want to survive, cling to your faith In Jesus. The second thing it tells us to do is to draw near to God with confidence. That's like, you need to realize if you believe in Christ, you are his son or daughter. When you show up at his house, you don't have to stand sheepishly at the door. You can walk in and sit on the sofa, right? You can walk into God's presence and sit on the sofa because you aren't a servant. You are, or just a servant. You are a son or a daughter of God, and he is good and gracious. So we can, we can draw near to God confidently. We can walk into his house. We can relax in his presence. Jesus told us not to worry about anything, not to be anxious for anything, because he's going to take care of us. So I want to encourage you today, if you feel like you're in a place where you feel weak, where you feel disconnected, Walk into God's house every morning. Just, just sit in his presence, even if it's silence. Even if you're reading your scripture and you're just silent before God. Just, just take time to get your heart right. And also, I want you to know that if you are feeling disconnected and isolated, like, we've got a great family here. And we actually want to connect with you and walk with you and, and put you in a place where you can grow in Christ. Like, that's what we're here for. And so just know we, we want to talk to you about that and get you connected so that you don't feel like you have to isolate. You don't feel like you have to hide. You don't feel like you have to, to, to show up and put a face on on Sunday. And so just know that, that Jesus wants to lead you to the throne of grace, and he wants to lead you into deeper connection with him and his family. Let's pray. God, we come before you today. And Lord, I I just want to ask for strength, your strength, God. Uh, Lord, when we feel weak, when we don't even know how to move forward, God, I pray that you, by the Spirit, would give us power to take those steps towards you. Jesus, help us to trust that you want to lead us to the throne of grace, not not just the throne of judgment, not, not being cast away. You actually want to embrace us as your sons and daughters. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us to take that step today, uh, whatever it looks like, in worship at home. And, Lord, help us to grow in our relationship with you. Help us to be rooted in relationship with you. God, help us to cling to our faith, even when we want to cling to other things that we know aren't good for us, and yet we do it anyway. Lord, help us to cling to, to you instead of allowing sin to cling to us, allowing our failure to cling to us, allowing our past to cling to us. God, help us to cling to you so that you can heal us from those things. And Lord, as you say, we just draw near right now. Lord, help us to draw near to your throne in confidence, knowing that you're not going to reject us, but that you will accept us, God. And we pray for all these things in Jesus' name.